Hey, it's Doug Bursch, and you're listening to Fairly Spiritual. Uh, so today's show's for the strange ministers, the strange pastors, those who are different, those who don't fit in, the introverts, the overly sensitive. Who you call it sensitive? Yeah, you know, the overly sensitive. Those who are ready to just give up at any moment or just say, I can't do this. This is too hard. Somebody else needs to take my place. Or it's just for the people who don't fit in. Today's show is to help you, the strange minister, on Fairly Spiritual today. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through, but you've spoken. dreams with you. Well, welcome back. This is Fairly Spiritual, and I am Doug Bursch, your host. So glad you could listen. Well, I just got back from a big conference. It was in the Puget Sound region where I live. Yes, I live in a specific place, but I'm just going to say Puget Sound region, Seattle area. What happens anyway when you tell people where you live? If they're not from this region, they're like, where is that? And you just say, I live in Seattle. So anyway, I just got back from a conference, and I got to teach a workshop No, they didn't let me speak in front of the conference. I'm not that popular, but I got to do a workshop, and that was cool. And it's a huge conference, so big that they have so many workshops that one of my fears was that I would actually have no one at my workshop. And this isn't me just being humble. The reality is there are just so many workshops that there's a chance that no one or hardly anyone could be at your workshop. And just to prove that point... Uh, before my workshop, like an, uh, the session before, I went to go to one of the workshops and it was this workshop, like super cool workshop. I don't know if that was the title, but it was literally like how to minister to the most important need in your church, generation, millennial X, what, it was, whatever the title was, it was just every person in the world wanted to go to that workshop. And I moseyed in a little too late. I looked in the window, saw the guy. Well, it wasn't a window. I looked in the door. Or actually, I didn't look in the door. The door was open. You don't care about these details, do you? Anyway, I looked through, and there was that cool guy up in the front. He had the tattoos and the hip-hop look, and the way I'm describing him shows that I'm not cool in and of myself, but he should be teaching the coolest workshop in this conference, and the room is just packed. People are sitting at his feet. They're lowering Uh, crippled people down through the roof, or is it roof, roof, roof? I don't know. They're just lowering them down just so they can be touched by his coolness. I can't get in that room. I came too late. Shouldn't have been talking in the hall. So, you know, I can't go to that. And I'm a little disgruntled now. If something is too cool, I'm like, I don't want that. Bunch of sellouts with all that coolness. I mean, if, if no one was there, it would have been the workshop for me. But once there's too many people there, I'm like, yeah, those people are all sellouts. If I'd come earlier and had a comfortable seat, I might have thought differently. 
But anyway, so I go down the hall and I just look to the next classroom. You know, maybe I'm a spirit led person. Maybe this will be the place I'm supposed to go. And I made the mistake of looking in, or maybe it was Providence, I don't know. I looked in the room, and there was one older gentleman, looked like he was in his 70s, in a kind of look, a suit. He, he did not look like he would be leading worship at a conference that sounds like math, like one of those ex, exponential conferences or something. He just, you know, he looked like he'd be helping with the deacons, right? And he was up there. And just talking and smiling. And he was talking like he was talking to maybe a thousand people. But there was just like one woman in front of him, two rows back. And then there was one woman by the door, which I realized was actually just helping him. So he only had one person in that workshop. And I looked in and I was already afraid no one would come to my workshop. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to this workshop. So there were two people in that workshop. And suddenly I became very interested in whatever the topic was about. And so uh, I was there and went to that workshop. So I was a little, I was a little, you can see from that, I was a little panicked because I don't have like some sort of name recognition. Uh, I didn't have a super cool topic. And so my assumption was on that spectrum of a full crowd to one nice elderly woman uh, there to smile and listen to me that I was going to be maybe more on that side of the spectrum of not many people there. But anyway, it was nice. There was a good group there. And the topic I did was introverts or help. I'm an introvert, uh, overly sensitive, and I just don't fit in. And I thought, you guys weren't able to go to the conference, so I'm going to give you some of the thoughts here, what I shared. And it went pretty well. And uh, it's it's a dangerous thing to make a title with introverts. Like, how do you get introverts to come to anything, right? If, if it had truly been a topic on introverts, uh, I should have just been behind a wall and not made eye contact and just not talked to anyone. But Anyway, they came. We had a good time together. Here's my dumb business model. By the way, this is why you guys helped me out greatly. I brought my books with me, right? So I brought some books, and I was going to sell my books. And, uh, you know, I don't have a, I didn't have a table there because to have a table at the conference, you got to pay a bunch of money. And the last thing I want to do is pay a bunch of money to make a little bit amount of money. I know that sounds really crass, but, you know, <laughs> to pay whatever it is, like $100 or $200 a day, so that I can make $10 a day. It just, the, the economy of that, it just doesn't seem to make sense to me. But I brought my books for, you know, the workshop, right? And I look in the room, there's about 20 people, and I'm like, I got 20 books. And so I said, oh, you can just have a book if you'll read it. I know some of you who've paid for the book. I want you to know that you paying for a book allowed me to do ministry and to give away books to some people who were coming to a workshop who really needed help, who were concerned about how do I survive in ministry. So thank you. Your support of this ministry matters greatly because I'm doing dumb stuff like that that's not allowing me to you know, break even sometimes. So I, I went and spoke at a conference and I came home a couple hundred dollars uh, behind. So, <laughs> so I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't quite know how to do the math there. But it was a good experience. And so I told them, I said, you can have a free book, but only if you read it. So only pick this up if you read it. So anyway, I wanted to go over the workshop with you. I'll change a little bit for the radio audience. Um, but I want to focus on, I just said radio audience. Oh, my goodness. That was a slip. I spent five years in radio. Forgive me. This is not a radio show. This is a podcast. Forgive me. 
One of the reasons I would bring up a radio audience is that this conference, I used to do live broadcasts from this conference, and I went back to my old station and talked to the people, and it was very healing. Got to talk to the old uh, the station manager and producers, and it was very it was a very healing, uh, powerful time. So enough about that, Doug. We didn't tune in for that. We want to know how to deal with this being an introvert or overly sensitive or just not fitting in. So I want to give you some thoughts here, and uh, I'd love your feedback. Uh, any way you can give feedback is great, only if it's positive. If it's negative, I will disown you. No, that's not true, but I'd, I'd love it if you'd give some feedback. So you can always go to fairlyspiritual.org. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at uh, fairlyspiritual. You can interact with me that way as well. So uh, first, I want you to think about this for yourself. What makes you different than the average minister? And if you're not in, officially in ministry, what, whatever area when you do ministry or what limits you from doing ministry or what makes you unique about doing ministry, what makes you different than your average minister when you think, I'm just different? What is that? If you could write that down, make a mental note of it, what makes you different than your average minister? So just think about that. Now, some of you are not thinking about anything, and if you're not going to come along with me, I think you're being a little difficult, okay? So think about something. What makes you different than your average minister? What is it? It doesn't have to be negative, but sometimes a negative thing is the first thing that rises up. It could be, I'm just not that social. I don't really like people. I enjoy puppetry. I don't know what it is, but what makes you different than your average minister. Okay, next question. These are only questions we're going to have. Uh, this is not an extensive test, but just to have this in your mind as we talk about these things. What is your greatest weakness as a minister? When you think about ministry, what's your greatest weakness? Is it being an introvert? Is it being overly sensitive? Is it that I just, you know, I can't do this. I just, it just wears me out. Is it talking too much? I don't know. What, what is it? What's your greatest weakness? Do you listen to too many podcasts? I don't know what it is. What is your greatest weakness? That you don't laugh at my jokes? I don't know what it is. What is your greatest weakness as a minister? What comes to mind? So just put those out there. Okay, now I want to give some terms here to maybe help us understand things. Introvert. Now, I will tell people this statement, and many people won't believe me, and you might still not believe me, but it's true. Or at least I believe it's true to me, and this is how I process things. I'm an introvert. Now people go, no, you are not an introvert because you are loud and you talk a lot and blah, blah, blah. Listen to you, Doug. This is not how an introvert sounds. An introvert sounds like this. I am an introvert. That's what people think an introvert is. Now there certainly are introverts who don't like to talk, who are very quiet, who you don't know are there, who don't want to be there, who just want to be left alone. That is a form, an expression of being an introvert. But I want to give you a different definition of being an introvert that is also an expression of being an introvert. And this might help you understand some people in your life. An introvert, and this is one of the definitions someone had given me, an introvert is drained by the room. A room, a crowd of people drains their energy. Their emotional energy is drained. An extrovert is fed by the room. An extrovert just, ah, I can't get enough of it. An introvert is like, enough already. Now, for me, I can have a very outgoing personality, but when I'm in a room, I need certain controls in that room, or even in a relationship, 
I need certain controls in that relationship, or at least I think I need certain controls in that relationship because relationships drain me. Community drains me. I wrote a book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor, primarily one to be obedient to the Lord and to talk about a theology of the church, but another to let people know that community drains me. I don't want to be in community. It's difficult. It's tough. It overwhelms me. When I, uh, and, and here's the example, if, if you said, Doug, you, you need to speak in front of a thousand people, I'd be very excited about that. That would be a, I could control the situation. I get up there, I give my talk, however long it is, I get to say what I want to say, people don't have to interrupt me, I can control how I express things, what I do. That's easy for me. Well, relatively easy, it's still hard. The hardest part would be people's responses afterwards, maybe someone coming up to me afterwards and saying something nice or something negative. But what would be much more hard for me is if you said, Doug, you need to go to a weekly home group and just hang out with people. The thought of just having to hang out with people is far more terrifying than speaking to a thousand people. Now, some of you are saying, speaking to a thousand people is terrifying to me, and also being in a home group is terrifying. The image or the issue to look at is for the introvert, crowds drain them. And so the goal is to control the crowd or to control what's going on and to do things in a way where they have the control. And you'll see this. You see pastors of mega churches who can be very outgoing and they talk a lot and they're very funny and they can be the life of the party. But one-on-one, they can kind of be abrupt and distant and even jerky that they don't really connect with you, that there's this issue that they don't really do a good job of just hanging out with people. The extrovert, on the other hand, they, they'll just stick around forever. And you know these kinds of people. If they're in a home group, they're the last to leave. They don't get the hint that the group's over. You got to usher them out of the house. I mean, you can say, hey, we're going to bed now. And they don't even get the hint. You put on your pajamas. One of you goes to bed and they're still just sitting there just like, hey, this has been fun. You know, we should do this more often. And you literally have to push them towards the door to leave. Why? Because those interactions are not draining them. Their battery is just being recharged. They come home and they're excited and they want to go do more because the crowd, the group, energizes them. There's nothing right or wrong with these things. That's good. Extroverts are encouraged and strengthened and built up by the crowd. Introverts are drained. It's very hard to minister when you are drained by crowds. I struggle with this because I'm an introvert in that way. I don't want to just hang out with people. Or my first inclination is not to want to hang out with people. And only I only want to be in relationships where I know they're safe and I can trust them and that they're going to be okay. And even there, I don't look for it. I don't want it. My natural inclination is to want to isolate, even if isolation is not good for me. Here's another issue, the overly sensitive. Have you ever heard someone say, you just need to have a thicker skin? I think that is one of the, uh, excuse me for this, uh, one of the dumbest things you can tell anyone. You can't make your skin thicker. You have the sensitivity that you have. I, I, I can tell you the right response I should have. In, in that sense, I can tell you that if somebody comes up to me and says, you know, it's the, the classic example of you're driving and you didn't do anything wrong and someone swears at you and flips you off and honks the horn. I can say in my head, 
hey, I didn't I didn't do anything wrong. That guy's a jerk. He shouldn't do that. It's about him, not about me. But I have an emotional makeup that that will impact me more than my wife. Again, this is not about me being a better person or a worse person or her being a better person or a worse person. It's not about her putting more work towards her emotional life than me putting more work towards my emotional life. In fact, I found that the overly sensitive often put far more work to dealing with their emotions than those who aren't very sensitive. It's just how I am. In fact, one of the reasons I give a lot of advice on how to deal with emotions and how to treat people is I still really hurt when people hurt me. And that makes it very hard to minister. In fact, many of the stories I talk about in my book are about just dealing with the fact that people hurt you. One of my main goals as a pastor is just not to be hurt. But the problem is, no matter how you do it, you get hurt. And then that last category of just don't fit in, that some of you just don't fit in. You're just like, I, I, just don't, I just don't fit the mold of what a perfect pastor is supposed to be. So I just want to give some uh, advice here. And uh, if, if you don't get anything out of this advice, you're clearly not listening because this advice is gold and you really should be listening more carefully. No, I, I, I'm just going to give you some advice here, some thoughts, things that have helped me, and I hope these will help you and maybe spur some conversations for you and maybe help you and even how you talk to others about your ministry calling or your pastoral calling. Uh, there's no real order here. I'm, I might say stuff like first and second, but if you ever listen to me, you'll realize that my outlines go off the rail. They just do. There's suddenly like, was there 10 points or 50 points? I just, there's a part of me that's not very linear. So here we go. Uh, first, <laughs> second, make ministry personal. To me, one of the best things you can do, regardless of who you are, is make ministry personal. And what I mean by this is structure ministry around your strengths and your weaknesses. In fact, I would go this far as make it so that people will reject the core of who you are. They'll reject you doing what you love. They'll reject you fully being who you are, not you pretending to be something else. In ministry, and I'll explain this out, in ministry, you're going to be rejected. Uh, sorry to give away spoilers, but you are. No matter how you do things, you're going to be rejected. Uh, Jesus was rejected. Paul was rejected. You're like, Doug, don't, don't speak these things. You know, we need to have faith. We need to be positive. Trust me, if, if Jesus can be rejected, if Paul can be rejected, if Peter can be rejected, do I need to go on? Because every single person in the Bible faced huge persecution and rejection. So unless you've got some sort of system they don't have, you're going to face profound rejection in your life. How's that for encouraging, right? <laughs> so anyway, you're going to face rejection. But one of the things that's so difficult, difficult about rejection is we have all these expectations upon pastors and ministers about what they should do. This is how you should preach. This is how you should teach. This is how you should run your leadership team. And this is how you should run. And we just have all these expectations that we put upon pastors. And so many pastors and many leaders are doing what other people have told them to do. You need to do this many visits with people and you need to structure your church this way and you need to greet people that way. And what we become is we become people who are pretending to be someone else. We're pretending to be the pastor that they want us to be. 
and we begin to do things that are not authentic to our own personality. Or we begin to do ministries that we don't want to do, that we don't like, but we do it because others have that expectation. Here's the problem with that. You're going to be doing things that you don't want to do, that are not authentic to you, that you don't even think you should be doing, but you're trying to serve someone else, and they're still going to reject you. But it's very painful to be rejected by someone and to be rejected for doing something you hate doing. Rejection is difficult enough. It's even worse when you're rejected for doing stuff you hate doing that doesn't give you life, that you think is worthless doing in the first place, or you've just been doing because other people told you to do it. It is so much more meaningful for someone to reject you when you are doing something that you love doing. When they say, I don't like the way you pastor this church, and you can say, I'm sorry, but the way I pastor this church is fully me being authentic in community. I'm doing the things that I feel like I can do the best. And I, I, I can give an illustration of this because we have this idea of the perfect pastor. Like the perfect pastor is supposed to be this or the perfect pastor is supposed to be that. It's, it's a mythology because the perfect pastor is you being uniquely you in community the way Christ has made you. I know some pastors who are incredibly gifted at studying the word and going deeply into the minutia of the word and the Greek and the Hebrew. And just once they come out of that study, they have these deep, in-depth, theological, theologically profound insights that they preach. They have teaching giftings and, and preaching giftings that are rooted in just spending time studying the Word and getting into the Greek and the Hebrew and the text and just areas that you just go, wow. Now, in order to do that, they must structure their calendar where they're not hanging out with people at Starbucks all the time. In fact, they must set aside not just one day, but sometimes two days or three days where they're spending a lot of time just by themselves, studying the Word. Now, if you're just living with a generic system of what the perfect pastor is supposed to do, someone will come along and say, no, 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 every pastor is supposed to spend one day you know, working on their sermon, or two days, or this amount of hours, and this amount of hours meeting with people at Starbucks. If you're just living some law or some system or structure, you'll say, no, you can't do that. But I believe that that pastor with those teaching and preaching giftings is supposed to do what God has called them to do. So a church like that, a pastor is supposed to invest themselves in their giftings and work hard. And then because they're doing that, there's going to be deficits in the church, which means other people need to use their giftings to meet with people and to connect with people in those relational ways because the other pastor, that pastor is doing what? They're studying the Word. Now, I've met other pastors who, let's face it, they don't want to do that. And it's not because they're bad people. It's not because they don't love Jesus. Not because they're not following biblical principles. They just have different giftings. They love meeting with people at Starbucks or some, uh, by the way, you can tell I'm from Seattle. There's a bias here. But they love meeting with at Shoney's if you're somewhere <laughs> in the Midwest or at 
Cracker Barrel. I don't know. I can't, you know, they just love, you know, going golfing with someone and connecting with them and hanging out and going fishing and talking and just connecting by hanging out, doing a Bible study with someone, doing a small group with They just, if they could do it, they would do as many of those as they could uh, all week. And as it is, they spend, you know, full days, one, two, three days just connecting with people, doing meeting after meeting, connecting with people. And as a result, the church is full of these strong relationships between the pastor and the people they've connected with. But also, when that pastor preaches, his or her sermons, they're not that deep. They're kind of simple. Kind of just about Jesus and simple things. I'm not saying simple as in wrong. They're just, you know, they're not these big, deep theological things. They're just simpler. Is that pastor doing something wrong? I don't think he's doing something wrong. I don't think she's doing something wrong. There's other pastors who just love to organize things. They have these gifts of just structures and systems and programs and and how to look at things in systematic ways. And they love to have meetings where they can look at how to organize things and set up teams and build teams. And again, I hope you see what I'm getting at. I think for us to authentically be ourselves in community, we need to give our best time and our best energy to the things that we love the things that we've been uniquely created to do and to structure the churches and the ministries that we're doing around our giftings. And then to also welcome others to do things that we can't do well. But if we're spending all our time pretending to be something we're not, we're in trouble. Or if you're in a position or you're in a church where, uh, you know, especially if you're in a serving position where you're a, you know, associate pastor or you're, just, you're a volunteer or a youth leader, if you can't talk to the pastor about the fact that all the work you're doing is killing you, that all the work you're doing is sucking the life out of you, giving you no joy, not within your gift set, that you're spending all your time administrating, you're spending all your time working on slides or uploading sermons or doing things that you're not good at, that you don't enjoy doing, that is not helping you grow, that's keeping you from your giftings, that you'd like to meet with people, but you can't meet with people because you're spending all the time administrating. Or you'd like to spend more time studying the word, but you can't because you're meeting with people all the time. There's a problem. Make ministry personal. Find your authentic voice. Find out who you are and be that person in community. Make room for who you are. That's a healthy family. In a healthy family, I've got four kids. I don't want any of my kids to be like the other kids. I want them to find their authentic voice and for that to be expressed within the community. Yes, there's chores we all got to do. There's things we all got to work towards and not everything is fun. But I don't want them pretending to be someone else. I don't want my more verbal kids having to be less verbal and my less verbal kids having to be more verbal. I don't want my more emotionally emotive kids to have to be less emotionally emotive. And I don't want my less emotionally emotive kids to feel condemned about that. And yet when it comes to the pastor at our ministry, we place these things on people to say, well, you need to be more this and you need to be more that. And we only accept people if they fit this model or this rule or this expectation or this law of ministry. I would encourage you to pursue a path 
where you make ministry personal, where you, where you find a way to do the things you love. And if you can't do the things you love, you're going to wither and die in that position. If you need more time to work on your sermon, then you got to contend for that. Go to your board, go to your council, go to the people around you say, I have to do this. If you need more time just meeting with people, you got to find a way to do that. And then also the areas that you can't do, then you have to be serious about that and start facilitating that to say, hey, I'm not doing these other things, which means they need to get done, which means we got to raise up people to do those things because they're not going to happen. And those things need to be done in the church because I'm not an administrator. We got to raise up administrators. And because I'm not, you know, <laughs> a good teacher, we got to raise up teachers. I co-pastor our church for this very reason. I have a chapter in my book about that, why I co-pastor and co-lead a church. They don't want to do it alone. Make ministry personal. To add on to that, and here's my second or tenth point. <laughs> if you're not like other pastors or if there's things in you that are unique or there's weaknesses or struggles, I would encourage you to start ministering in community. One of the things that bothers me is there's all these Christian leadership books out there that we need to lead the church the way the Bible talks about leadership. But one of the things you don't see in most of these Christian leadership books is an advocacy for ministering in pairs. I have a chapter in my book on this, The Community of God, where I talk about that Christian ministry is community ministry. Jesus didn't minister alone. Jesus ministered with the disciples. And he didn't just do that because he wanted to train some people to be like him. He ministered in community because it's sin for people to minister alone. It's sin. Jesus sent the disciples ahead of him to go into cities before Jesus even went into that city to minister in his name, to preach, to teach, to heal, to do the work of the kingdom. Jesus modeled for us how humans are to be humans in ministry. We're not supposed to do it alone. If you, if you think I'm exaggerating the point, he sent the disciples out, not in, as individuals, but in pairs. And if you think I'm exaggerating the point, once Jesus ascended to the Father and poured out the Holy Spirit, how did the New Testament church minister? They ministered to what? In pairs, and Paul and Barnabas and Titus and Timothy. We see them going out in pairs. And yet, almost all our examples of leaders in the church, in America at least, are lone leaders. We even have people who are they're leadership experts who are telling pastors and churches how to lead their churches and their individuals as leadership experts. If they were truly leadership experts, it'd be a team of leaders. It'd be two people. I know I'm pushing a little hard on this, but to me, at least should we should take with a grain of salt all these experts and all their Christian leadership principles when they've abandoned one of the most clear Christian leadership principles that's in the New Testament, which is they ministered in community in pairs. Paul and Barnabas is a perfect example. And I have a, I have a chapter on this. Paul uh, doesn't get to minister to the New Testament church without Barnabas. After Paul's Damascus experience, you know, Paul, we know as Saul, he persecuted the church, right? And then what happens? 
He has this Damascus experience where Jesus confronts him, and he, Paul realizes he's been in the wrong, and and he has a salvation experience. But Paul is not able to really minister after that experience. He's not able to walk in his calling. And the scripture in Acts is pretty clear why Paul is not able to walk out his calling. Because the church is frightened of him. They're glad that he's no longer persecuting Christians, but they don't trust him. It's one thing to say, well, we're glad he's not murdering people. It's another to say, we'll let you lead us. And so what we find in the story, and you see this, Barnabas takes Paul to the 12 in Jerusalem, and they trust Paul because they trust Barnabas. And then uh, the Jerusalem council sends Barnabas out to the scattered church outside of Jerusalem. They, you know, they send Barnabas out to the scattered church, and Barnabas goes and finds Paul and takes Paul with him. If you look at where Barnabas travels, now the books, you know, your Bible often says this is Paul's first missionary journey. This is not Paul's first missionary journey. This is Barnabas's first missionary journey where he introduces Paul to the people that Paul had persecuted. Because if you see where Barnabas goes, Barnabas goes to all these places where people had been scattered. And they were scattered there because of Paul's persecution of the church. So what you have here is Barnabas reintroducing Paul to the persecuted church, the church that Paul had persecuted. Can you imagine how awkward that was? Barnabas enters the room, and then Paul enters the room. People welcome Barnabas with Paul. They have that look like, you're the one who martyred our friends. But then they would hear the Holy Spirit in Barnabas, and then they would hear the Holy Spirit in Paul. Because Barnabas contended for Paul, Paul had a ministry. And as we see, even when Barnabas and Paul parted ways, they didn't stop ministering in community. I say all this because if we want to truly minister in the fullness of God wherever we are, even if you're an introvert, even if you're overly emotional, overly sensitive, even if you're just plain weird or strange, you have to find a way to learn to partner with someone so that the full expression of Christ can be seen in our midst. Because you by yourself is not enough. You need someone else to be with you. I pastor alongside Dan Behrens, where just the fact that both of us can be in the room and can have a shared experience, where if I'm feeling weak and vulnerable and just like an idiot, I can look over at Dan and Dan can say, it's okay, Doug, I'm here, I got your back. And I can look over at Dan and say, it's okay, I got your back. There's power in community, and it's biblical. I would encourage you greatly, I'd greatly encourage you, that if you find yourself as just kind of a different pastor, that you would contend to finding someone to minister with. That's hard, because you'll receive a lot of rejection. It might not even work. It might take many years to find that. But I believe it's biblical to learn how to work with someone else and to minister in pairs. I'll give you one more point here. One point with several points in it. I want to encourage you to be free. And this is for people who just don't fit in. I think I'm talking to some people right now where you just don't fit in. 
And I want to encourage you, Romans 1, excuse me, Romans 8, 1 through 14, Paul says that we're supposed to live according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. That's katanuma, not katasarka. Katanuma is according to the Spirit. Katasarka is according to the flesh. Paul makes a very simple argument, but a profound argument. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. We know our flesh is going to die, and even we need the Spirit to resurrect our bodies. But if you live according to the senses, what you touch, what you taste, what you smell, you're going to die. If you live according to how you feel, it's not enough. But if you live according to the Spirit, there's going to be life and light in your life. Right now, you may feel like you're inadequate, you don't have enough skills, you don't have enough talent, you don't have enough reserve, you're too weak, whatever it is, whatever the limitation is. Whatever that weakness is that you listed at the beginning of the show, Paul says through the Holy Spirit, don't live according to the flesh. Live according to the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord abides in you right now. Right now, the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to you. And God is greater in you. The Spirit of the Lord can resurrect dead bodies, and so the Spirit of the Lord can lead people who feel weak, insufficient. Not just feel, but are weak and insufficient in their flesh. If you have a dream, a vision, a plan, a purpose that seems too great, too big, don't wait for things to change. If you believe God put it on your heart, do it. Live according to the Spirit. Do it. I made a commitment early on, based on the leading of the Holy Spirit, that I wouldn't wait till I became a megachurch, because I'll never become a megachurch. I just agreed to live according to the Spirit. I remember arguing with the Lord when I was frustrated that our church wasn't growing and we weren't doing the things that I thought we'd do, and I was mad. I was like, how can I do all these things you've put on my heart, Lord, when our church won't grow? Because I thought my church had to grow in order for me to do all the other things I wanted to do. I wanted to do radio. I wanted to guest speak. I wanted to you know, influence a larger dialogue in the body of Christ. And I believe the Lord came to me and just said, I didn't tell you that. I don't want you to do things based on power. Just do it. Do it now. I'd like the story to be that our church grew a bunch and we had a bunch of success, but the reality is we're still just this small church, this little church, this normal-sized church. And I still struggle with my insufficiencies in the ministry. But I'm still going to live by faith. And I'm still going to live based on the leading of the Spirit. It's not easy, but it's what we're called to do. One last thing Paul says in Romans 1, he says the sin of humanity is we worship the created instead of the Creator. Instead of worshiping the Creator, we worship the created. And and we all know how that's wrong when it comes to pride. We've seen ministries where the ministry grew and became very successful, and the pastor became very arrogant, right? They talked about how great they were, and they put on airs, and they just seemed self-important, and they begin to worship the created. They begin to worship themselves, or they begin to worship their ministry. They begin to do things in their own strength, in their own power. They begin to judge others as weaker or less important than their important ministry. We all know pastors like that. We're not supposed to worship the created, but the creator. But here's the flip side of that. Maybe for you, 
you haven't been very successful in the eyes of the world or even in your own eyes. And what's been created to this point seems like a failure. You feel like you have nothing to stand on. Just as the proud pastor can say, look at what I've done and all the churches I've planted and how we've grown and all the successes, all the things that have been created, just as he should not do things or she should not do things based on what's created. You look at your life and you're like, look at my failures and look at my faults and look at the lack of success. You're not supposed to worship the created. You're supposed to worship the creator. Your next step is not supposed to be made based on what has been created up to this point. Even if you did all that, even if you failed and it's all your fault, your next step is supposed to be spirit-led based on worshiping and loving the creator. So I want to challenge you right now. Are you doing things based on your own strength? What you've created up to this point? Even what God has created up to this point? Or are you willing just to do what God has put on your heart? To worship God, to serve him, to follow him, and to be free. Be free. Pursue the Lord. Be free. Make ministry personal. Pastor out of your strengths and admit to your weaknesses. Do things that build you up and give you life. Minister in authentic community. Find someone who can help you and that you can help. Don't live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And serve the Creator, not what you've created. These are some things that might help the introverts and the overly sensitive and those who just don't fit in in our midst. All right. Hey, thanks for listening. I appreciate it greatly. One of the ways you can support this ministry is to pick up a copy of my book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. In fact, a lot of what I'm talking about here, the spirit of this, fitting into things, being an introvert, overly sensitive, I address this topic throughout the book. You can go to Amazon.com to, to, to purchase the book, or you can go to my website, Fairly Spiritual. Dot org. I have discounts for churches that want to use this as for small groups, for Sunday school. You can contact me directly through my website and I'll give you a substantial discount for orders of 20 or more books, a substantial discounts. So I'd love to be able to get that to you. There's uh, several churches that are doing that. I'm excited to support you in that as well. All right, make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. This music here is by my brother, Dan Birch. Support him by going to iTunes and downloading a song or two or even a whole album. I'll see you next time. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through, but you've spoken by your word, your Holy Spirit's leading me, you are my only one, you're the only one worth living for, so I'm
dreams with you. 